This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. I don't have to do everything perfectly when there's something I know needs to be done and can help people. Sometimes we're afraid we can't be perfect. We get defeated. I was also scared to put mystical Jamie out there in writing because I'd only shown that sign to those closest to me. But when I just bit the bullet, it was so empowering. And I'm hoping others will feel empowered to show who they really are, remembering they don't have to be perfect. This action will move them to their North Star. Also, they don't have to quit their jobs to find themselves and spend months in a cave meditating. They can start in a little morning ritual, unique to them that they create, and create a synergy to lift their energy. Most importantly, they need to stay here, do the work, and move through it so they don't need to come back and do it again. Valeria Tellis interviews Jamie Wilde, the author of Shine, When Chasing Sacred Spaces Goes Dark. As an English major at UCLA, Jamie fell in love with story to understand the human condition. As she read and told stories to her own children and her students, Jamie learned the power of stories to inspire, motivate, teach, and open hearts. She has written multiple titles for the children's educational market, the adult nonfiction market, and has worked as a journalist, law firm marketing director, second grade teacher, licensed spiritual practitioner, filmmaker, professional mom, lifestyle blogger, and chatbot designer to bring life to those boring little widgets. Her current projects are bringing light to the world through her nonfiction book, Shine, When Chasing Sacred Spaces Goes Dark, and her blogs, spaguidesecrets.com, self-care, and Tasting Life, jamiewilewrites.com for the Epicurean Adventurer. Her home base online is jamiewild.net. She has recently renewed her teaching credential to return to the classroom where she feels she can really impact young lives. In real life, she lives in Northern California with her husband and her dog, Kai. Meet Jamie at jamiewild.net. Here is the interview with Jamie Wild. In your own words, who is Jamie Weil? Who am I? I am a celebrant of life. Um, I love the playground that we are on called Earth. And I just like to 
soak that up in all its in all its phases. You know, this question is tempting because you're yeah. tempted to just say the light parts of your personality mm, or the true. roles that you do in the world, right? Yeah. But yeah. there's the shadow that goes with that. And all of that together is so beautiful. When I went through um, practitioner training to become a spiritual practitioner, one of the, it was like a four-year process. And one of the assignments in that journey was to get up and do your eulogy. Mm. And that was super powerful for me because it was a portal into really looking at how I wanted to, when I leave this time, mm. right, how I wanted to be seen or how I saw myself. And yet you were able to invite other people to speak at your, your <laughs> service. And I really think this should be an assignment we do in school, right? Yeah, I agree. So like we, so we leave and we, you know, we were, we're better equipped, but I did that in my, you know, later adulthood. Um, so that's, that's who I am. I'm a voice for the voiceless, a light worker, empath, intuitive, all the archetypes of mother, teacher, writer. Um, those are probably my top three and, you know, all the shadow that goes with that, as you mentioned, the perfectionist archetype, right? The codependent empath, the victim, all of those that are the shadow of those others where we go. So that's who I am. When did you come to this realization of who you were as a light worker, as a spiritual teacher? I think it's an ongoing process, but I, you know, from the time you're young, you have these little hits of a vision, but really in my fifties, I'm, I just turned uh, 57. I never remember. I have to ask my husband how old I am all the time. (laughs) That's a a good sign. (laughs) But like mid fifties, you know, early fifties, really coming into helping other people with the question, why am I here? I think I really started asking that maybe in my 40s. You know, why am I here? Right. But but from the time I was young, this was always, you know, just sort of an observation. I was observing the world like that and, and wondering. And that's interesting. Like, do you think we are born as children? We know we have a very good sense of who we are and then we ended up forgetting or it's quite the other way around. We have no idea and then we become more aware and uncover who we are? I think there's so much science. You know, there's so much science behind this this question when, you know, there's so many children. In fact, I have a whole book about it, um, about children who remember their previous lives and then their parents, maybe their parents don't even believe in reincarnation, but they're like, well, let's just check this out, Johnny (laughs) says, you know. So they go and they they look at that life and sure enough, you know, the book that he hid under the pillow on the mountain in Tibet is there. I mean, mm. you know, so there's so much, so many stories like that. Um, and just from my own children coming in, a lot of times when children come in with fears and anxieties, like my youngest was really afraid of sharks. He didn't even know what a shark was. Right. You know, he hadn't seen a picture of a shark. He hadn't, yeah. <laughs> so it's like the different fears and anxieties that you have that are left over from the last. So I, I do believe you come in. And I also, as a, I'm now a trained regression and therapist and a future progression therapist. So I've sat with so many people who've gone and remembered later on, not to bog themselves down, but to bring insight into their current, whatever their, their challenges in this lifetime, anxiety, stress, whatever they're dealing with. So, Yeah. 
Well, so in a way we bring with us um, when we lose the body. So everything that we have not learned or whatever fears, unhealed parts of ourselves, it just lives on, right, Jamie? That's sure, sure. It's a journey, right? Yeah. Where, I mean, we're all these souls, in my view, that we come into each lifetime with a new personality, with a new set of data. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we yeah. have this new, and <laughs> we are, the whole purpose of each person here is to evolve that soul. We're all at different levels. We're all at different, you know, spaces. We go to different tools to help us evolve that soul. And we come in with different lessons that we need to learn while we're here. So, yeah. yeah. Do you believe that once we have learned these lessons, then we stop coming here? And if we do, what happens to that soul? Well, I mean, it's anybody's guess, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> I really love doing um, future progression therapy. Just, I mean, just for the imaginal play. As a writer, I love yeah. to go to imaginal play, you know. And I mean, just to imagine mm-hmm. where we might go. So, you know, mm-hmm. I could set out a theory, like, and my theory is that, you know, we we have this this set of the agenda, right? We have yeah. a list. I love yeah. lists. Right. We have a list <laughs> for this life. We come in and we check, 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 check. And if we don't accomplish something or if we go the the will and free choice, we go this opposite direction. Yeah. I think that carries, you know, we have a, we have a council on the next, next time. Mm-hmm. Do we come back to earth? I think there's other options right. eventually, right. not for new souls. I mean, I think you go through until you've hit a certain level and there's like eight of those levels or something. I don't know. I just made that number up, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, imagination yeah. at play. Good. <laughs> yeah, right. But when you get to, when you get to that level, I think you can, you know, you can help other people in the invisible realm. You can be a guide. You can, you know, there's other options. So yeah. that's, that's my theory. You know, that's evolved over the years. I used to have the you know, I was raised in a very traditionally Southern Baptist town. So I only had one paradigm and that was that, you know, you can, you, you're born and then you believe this way or you go to hell and then you don't, you go to heaven. So I had that, that paradigm, but over the years, I've just, this feels, this resonates more with my soul, the way it goes. Yeah. It resonates with my soul too. What you said for sure. What about freedom? What is your idea of freedom? What is to be free? Well, I mean, there's the obvious answer to this, which is you get to do and do and (laughs) say and go where you want. But I think of the story of the flies in the jar. Do you know this story? So there's these. Okay, so they put these flies in the jar. I love how science and um, spirituality cross. So, you know, I, I like to look at the different experiments that have been done. So they put these flies in a jar and they they close the jar. And now the flies are imprisoned in the jar, right? Yeah. And then he, and some days later, they open the jar, but the flies never fly out. Oh. Because in their minds, their fly mm-hmm. minds, right. they are, you know, they're not free. This is the way they live. And I see so many, I've blogged on this topic mm. a lot over the years. And I see so many people yeah. that are like those flies that are like, well, this is what we've done. We've always done it. We do it like this. And they, they don't turn their head up to see that the jar lid is off. That's not freedom. That's the opposite of freedom. True. So we have to be conscious. It's a consciousness. And we have to come, you know, bring those those sort of iOS that's running in our subconscious to the surface and look up. And yeah, that's note that the 
lids off the jar. <laughs> yeah, right. So that's what you call freedom, being open, right, Jamie, to what's out there, being curious. Conscious, yeah. Being yeah. conscious, aware, right. Um, interesting. That's a very unique answer. Is it? Very unique. I've never heard this way before. Uh, very oh. interesting. What is the difference between being spiritual and being religious from your perspective? So different. So <laughs> I think, you know, first of all, spirituality, what is spirituality? Yeah. But, you know, we are all one. We are all connected. Did the global pandemic not show us this? You know, it's yeah. it's like we are love is the most important thing. If you can be anything, be kind. You know, that that is spirituality going into the world. I have, I have a great story on this. So I was teaching a, I was teaching a class on spirituality and film and where they intersect. It was like an eight-week course. And because I really think that you can take film and change the world this way. So I was kind of going through all of the spiritual you know, documentaries. And I landed on my favorite one, which I talk about in my book, actually, which is I Am by Tom Shadyat. And the assignment was to do something for someone else. You know, it's kind of a cliche assignment, admittedly, but you do something for someone else without them knowing, sort of anonymously. Paying attention to how that makes you feel. So on the way to class, I'm in, in the line, in the Starbucks line. Right? <laughs> Get my coffee, right? And I'm like, okay, I'm going to anonymously, how do I anonymously buy some more coffee right yeah. now? Another cliche move, but I, you know, I want to, I do that, figure that out. And I get up to the front and the woman, the barista is like, you know what? They, somebody else bought your coffee. And here's the really weird thing. This has been happening the entire day. Oh. Like, I don't know what's going on, but like everybody's buying, everybody's having. To me, oh, that's yeah. spirituality. Mm-hmm. Religion is a codified set of beliefs that are put in place to control people, basically. Right. <laughs> you know? yeah. But it also, a lot of times, gives people the strength. You know, we're on St. Patrick's Day today, yeah. and I was reading all about St. Patrick, who yeah. actually wasn't even Irish. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I was the story of him, you know, and God, what he calls God, which I have, you know, the, the name of the universe or someone else calls love or, yeah. you know, Jehovah, whatever, everybody's got a different name, yeah. got him through 20 years of slavery. I mean, so that's sometimes religion, like, and the, and the rules can do that. But that's what I see it as, is, is a codified set of rules to control people. But having just come back from Santa Fe and going into the beautiful, I love going into churches, right. yeah, like me too. beautiful Catholic church. Yeah. And we had this great um, private tour of the, of the Basilica. And it was just amazing, the details and the history and the feeling. There's spirituality within that, but that place. Mm. So it's not like this is one and that's the other, right? It overlaps yeah. so much. And it kind of depends on what level we are, we then accept and follow that as, or we see that as spirituality, or which is basically a way of connecting to something greater than us, something that is with the unseen world. Isn't that interesting? Absolutely. Absolutely. And and whatever vehicle gets you there Mm. is, to me, there's that spirituality. And and your behavior is like, you know, uh, love or above 
be kind right? yes. to everyone, yeah. to everyone, yes. not just some people. Yeah, I love that, Jamie. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and these important messages that to me is yeah. like very close to my heart. These things about love, basically unconditional love. That's what I see really as a, the main practice in spirituality or religion, whatever we call it. It's unconditional love to self, life itself and others. Yeah, it's a challenging practice, isn't it? It is. And it's yeah. also hard to define. And I have another story on love because when my kids, my youngest son was a teenager, they were, you know, he was very social. And so a lot of kids were always over at the house. And I noticed this sort of self-deprecating, mm. self-hate, you know, and how do I, and at the same time, I was going through that training I was talking about. So I'm like, how do I get them to love? Like, how do I get them to understand love outside of the romantic model that is the prom, right? How do I get them to love themselves? So I created this thing called the love campaign Mm -hmm. and standard for (laughs) let old views evolve. And I I went out and my son was really into the Lakers at that time. So I got all these, these bracelets, these purple and yellow bracelets that said love. And the whole idea was I got like 500 of these bracelets. They showed up (laughs) and they put the bracelet on and face the love towards them. And the idea was for 30 days, try and love yourself. Only send yourself positive messages. And then the next 30 days, we're going to switch the bracelet to the other hand and put it outward and do the same towards other people. Mm. So the first 30 days, they could not get past the first day. Wow. And I was like, oh my gosh, right. you know, this thing we call love that we throw around, mm. this is like, We've got to start early. We've got need, we need early intervention on yeah. <laughs> True. <laughs> right? so, so true. And that is something that is a mystery in a way, because it, yeah. it feels like common sense. I mean, it resonates with the mind and the heart when it comes to loving oneself. I know some people turn into narcissism and uh, selfishness and all. But even then, it seems like it's a very simple practice, but it's not. It's not. Yeah, loving oneself, right. And I think the reason it's not is because of all those things you just said, which are often early messages that are given to us by, you know, certain, not just our parents, because my parents didn't kind of throw that at me, but I got it from other tribal, you know, institutions, the church, the, you know, um, the community, you know, friends. That's selfish. I never heard that word from my home. Right. But I heard other people bring that to the the party, you know, yeah. and really it's the opposite, isn't it? Right. Because when right. we love ourselves, yeah. we are so much charged up, so much better charged up yes. to help other people. So you wrote the book, Shine, When Chasing Sacred Spaces Goes Dark. Two initial questions for you, Jamie. How did you become a writer? And what is actually to be a writer? And what was also the inspiration and intention of writing your book? Oh, wow. Okay, so let's start with number one. You might have to remind me. Um, I will. (laughs) uh, Okay, so the first question was, how did I become a writer? Yes. I came in, Valeria, like this. So I, from the time I was in kindergarten, I was always getting like eagles on my papers. People still remember this Mm -hmm. in my small town where I live. And, and so I was like, oh, okay, I guess an eagle equals I did something right. So I'm going to do more of that. So then that, that sort of self-fulfilling prophecy. So by the time I was in seven, in my home where, you know, my mom had gone through a divorce with my dad, who was just my, you know, 
like rock and he was gone and my stepdad came in like three months later and that was not a good situation. So I was going through that in my home life. So at school, I laid into my academia. I still do this to this day. This comes back around on question three. Mm, (laughs) So so when I was in third grade, I think I just had a teacher and being a teacher myself and getting ready to go back into the classroom. I just love this concept right here. She, I didn't realize this till I was an adult, but she recognized the stress I was under. And so she made me and a few others in the class teachers to go back down and tutor the first graders. And, and she took one of my poems that I had written and sent it to the local paper. That poem was called Red. Wow. <laughs> it was about all red things. <laughs> so, <Wow. laughs> so the red, I don't even have a copy of that poem, but it was a story. Mm-hmm. So the record search like published it and it came, you know, and the paper came. And when you're in a small town, it's all about the local paper, right? Yeah. So the paper came and I'm like, oh, that's my name. And that's, and that's how I became a writer. <laughs> no, no kidding. That's wow. like the beginning. Yeah. So I, I went on and, and uh, wrote a lot more stories after that. And yeah. I was wondering, you, the theme, what was the poem about? <laughs> All things red. Yeah. I was like, apples red. And it was probably not even a very, I don't even know. But it was a good <laughs> she, I think she just did that, you know, to give me a, a boost, yes, right? Because right. yeah. it was just drowning. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, the other people, I call them leaders. They're, they're true leaders, yeah, those people. Leaders and angels, aren't mm, they? Angels. angels that oh, come that's in. right. Right, right. Yeah, they come in. And I like to live my life like that. I mean, I like to be that for other people that and pay that back because I just think that it gives me a lot of happiness, you know, to to see to use my time here in that way that yes. other people have used for me. So what was the second question? Yeah, the second is what is to be a writer from your perspective? What is the spirit of a writer all about? Well, okay. From my perspective, it's to be an observer of what of this earth and what's happening in the world and what's happening in the journey. And if you look back and you pull from the words of the great writers and you watch, we call them stories. We're like every night, what stories are we going to watch? The current writers. I mean, there's so many people who just have such a keen observation and it's hitting that observation, that spirit, that um, wavelength that people sense, yeah. but don't quite get. And then you write it. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> That's to me what the writer is. I see a lot of these services, obviously, through the years. I've been in many different writing organizations and on writing boards and in big groups and little groups. And I, I don't think that's what everybody thinks writing is. I think that that's just my, I mean, I think it's more like I want to have a book and say I'm a writer than actually being the observer and sitting your butt in a chair and doing all that. That's not really what, right. <laughs> that's, what it, that's what I think it is. Yeah. And it, spending the yeah. So talk to me about the inspiration, intention of writing your book and also dreams. You mentioned that you're guided, that you had visions and dreams. They are connected to this work to shine. Yeah. Always my dreams are connected, it seems, to, to my life. But yeah, this is a great story. So I, I was on, um, you know, I've published at this point traditionally seven books. And it's just, and not to mention like, you know, 
a ton, 50 journalism articles and blogs for 10 years and, you know, all this stuff. And I was just like, I'm just like burnt out with the kind of process that comes after the writing. Right. <laughs> right. right. I like writing. <laughs> it's I'm the opposite of this. You have to go through the whole thing and it takes so long. And I, so I was compla- not complaining, but yeah. my friend Mia was asking me about it and we were in San Francisco and I, and I said, you know, I just, I think I'm, I'm on strike. I'm not right. And she's like, no, you're a writer. Like, this is your archetype. This is why you're here. And I'm like, yeah, but you can't make me. I'm not going to do it. So we, I came home and I had signed up for this retreat. Everything was going virtual. This was last March. Everything was going virtual. And, and everything was like cheaper, you know, mm, because yeah. not, you don't have to fly there and stay there. And yeah. So I was looking at all of these things and I'm a, a learning junkie. So I was enrolled in like Cottonwood <laughs> 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 wow. University. I just decided at that point to do this writing retreat, which was Tom Bird's um, writing retreat out of Sedona that I had just looked at forever. I was going to do this forever. And what Tom's concept is really, and I talk about this in the intro of the yeah. book, but yeah. his concept is really connecting with, he calls it God called, you know, spirit, the universe, love, the great beyond, you know, connecting with that force that's greater than us, that's in each of us. I'm like, that's awesome. I think I'll try that Mm -hmm. in my chair, my dog at my feet, you know, Mm -hmm. with my my waterfall and everything. It'll be awesome. So that's how the book, and by the way, in that retreat on Friday, it starts Friday morning, it goes through Sunday afternoon and you're just writing, 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 writing the whole time. Um, I did not plan on actually letting any of that writing ever see the world. Mm -hmm. My plan was just to pour that out and do, do the writing for the writing's sake. Right. So at the end of the, the thing, I'm getting this nudge. Yeah. you know, from spirit, which is like, no, this is really, and I said, help me understand, help me understand how to be helpful, how to lift, bring light to the world right now. That's like going into this really hard cycle. I could feel it coming. Just let me know what those words are. Maybe I'll do a short story or a poem or an op-ed or something. You know? <laughs> right. At the end of the thing, I had this very clear message, like, no, this is a, this is a book. You're going to self-publish it. And I said, no, I'm not, I'm not going to self-publish it. There's no way you can't make me. Um, but they have this pathway for that. And I just, Hmm. that's how it happened. And during that weekend on the Saturday night, I I was going to call it, um, chasing sacred spaces because that's me. I really like to go out to, you know, all the land outside, outside, but we were being called to find the sacred space within. Yeah. And so I was going to call it Chasing Sacred Spaces. And I went to sleep and Saturday night, I kept getting that across the, like a vacancy sign on a hotel. It was Chasing Sacred Spaces, Chasing Sacred Spaces. Right. Just, I'm like, yeah, right. okay, that's the day. <laughs> and then, you know, I just follow those types of hits. And then the next one was no, there's another part of that. There's a light to that dark. There's a, there, you got to have the balance, the yin, the yang, right? So that's how it ended up shine when Chasing Sacred Spaces got to start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then I wrote it in the weekend honestly and I did a an edit one time over through and that was it and this book is my favorite book I've ever written the others have taken me 10 years 15 years etc so it's I don't know something to be said for sort of I don't I don't like the word channel for some reason but it right. really is opening up to 
that spirit, letting spirit come through and being the conduit for that. So that's shine. Yeah. So dreams, there's anything you want to add about dreams, Jamie? There's something that you wrote, you have a chapter in your book that's called chapter 11, dream. And you say the reason to place value on your dreams and study your symbols is that while you are sleeping, your ego is on break, which is kind of cute the way you say it. And you can learn from an unedited subconscious about the truth of what is really going on. For me, dreams, I try not to attach to anything. I think I mentioned that off record when we talked. So mm-hmm. I have a hard time uh, giving meaning to things and trying to find the meaning, almost like an investigator, <laughs> trying to yeah. find meaning for anything and getting the mind too busy. So how do we know really when dreams, they do mean something spiritual and it's coming from intuition, from spirit, and not just um, overthinking, not to get into that space of the mind that analyzes everything and judges everything, separates everything. Yeah. yeah. So talk to me for a moment about that. Sure. It's funny you picked that passage, mm-hmm. Valeria, because Lori, our, our, our common audible narrator, yeah, yeah right. Oh, <laughs> on, the, on, the, on, the, on the one on the last time through <laughs> in a dream, we were all through and I was leaving to go out of town. So we were trying to get it finished and she was coming back and, so we were all through, and that night, in a dream, it, it, I got clearly, go through one more time. Mm. Go through listening one more time from the beginning. I did not want to do this, because you know how that goes. Yeah. So I got yeah. up at 6 in the morning, uh-huh. and I don't like to get up to an alarm. I like to just get up yeah. <laughs> yeah. at 6.30 in the yes. morning. Yeah. And, I, and I listened to this all the way through, and we landed on one issue and it was, Lori had said, edited subconscious. And the word was unedited subconscious. Right, unedited. And it came to me in an unedited subconscious mind. So that's the thing I love about dreams. They're very synchronistic. Um, Stephen Eisenstadt is a, a big guy in this area in California, in Southern California. And he, I just got another, he's doing another sort of, you know, workshop out of Pacifica University, which is all about this area of, of work, right? Yeah, yeah. So he, he says that, and I've been to those like workshops or talk about his, his system is really looking at tending the dream. Mm-hmm. So you're not, don't try and get definition out of it, he right, says, right. you know, but tend it, look at the symbols, play with the symbols, bring the symbols into the day whatever. My whole thing is for me personally, I have gotten so much guidance out of my dream material. I've been right now, I'm really working on lucidity. I'm actually going Mm, through like all these, this lucidity, you know, school basically, (laughs) because I, you know, in in the, the monks, Tibetan monks love to play with this sort of as, um, a way to just drop every, I mean, I don't, I'm not a monk, so, and I'm not Buddhist, so I might be like messing this up, but uh-huh. it's to sort of let everything go and just hold that state of consciousness while asleep. Mm-hmm. That wake, that wake and that sleep. There's been so many writings on this over the years, and I'm just fascinated with it personally. And I also have precognitive dreams. Mm-hmm. So I will dream things before they happen. And oh, it's wow. sometimes it's very insignificant thing. Like I'll dream that we were sitting 
at the Red Robin and I asked for the ketchup, you know, (laughs) it's insignificant, right? So it's like, but then I know in that conscious state, I know what the next, at that fork in the road, which way I need to go down that road. So there's not necessarily meaning for me as much as guidance and Mm, paying attention to symbols. And I I don't know. I love this whole world, you know, in the, it really guided indigenous cultures and they would come after and and sit and they were very connected spiritually in in my eyes to the natural environment and to those cycles in the world in a way we're not because we're so distracted in this attention economy. Right. Yeah. So they would sit and they would be like, okay, you know, like what everybody dream and that would guide the day. We've actually thought about doing this. We're going to do shine retreats out of this book. We've actually thought about this process about bringing this back into the circle of the morning circle and using that information to guide the day and see see what happens. <laughs> it's just fun. It's yeah, like that. that sounds interesting to me. So it's more like a guidance. It, it's not something to be attached to as a meaning in the sense of to be worried about. Because <laughs> I guess no. it could get to the mind like, oh, now I have to be too caught up with the details. And we'll talk about perfectionism in a moment. But yeah. that's what my concern is. It has been. So now the way you're saying the perspective is different. It's more like a guide, just um, pay attention, as you said, without yeah, attachment. It, I love that. Exactly. It's, it's playful. It's, yeah. it's like, um, and then I feel like when I have a lucid dream and I'm flying, to me, that is just so empowering in my day, day life. Yeah. If I have one of those dreams, I am like, high for two days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. just, I don't know. I have this one and actually Lori, Lori has these two. Lori are, are near. So I have this one where I go underwater and I can breathe. I love that. You know, no scuba, no mm-hmm. whatever. I hit this one hole. I go down. I'm in another world. I mean, I have a really good day after one of those. It's not about a meaning. It's about feeling. It's about, yeah, but paying attention because I also have a, a chapter in there. And I've seen so many people that have nightmares, yeah. you know? Yeah. So how do we deal with that? That's not fun. True. Nobody wants to go to sleep when they have really bad nightmares. True. So how do we learn to approach that? That I, That's a little out of my realm. I wish somebody would do some work <laughs> on it and figure it out for people. Um, I did actually see a recent, can't remember what show it was, but somebody was working on that concept of working with the nightmare scene and shifting it, I think it was behind her eyes, uh-huh. shifting it into, you know, more of a, a pleasing experience to right. have at night. Yeah. So what it seems to me like dreams, vision, it's the experience of perhaps coming from that place of knowing. So we are just now living, experiencing that knowing in forms of visions, which this is to me, being here in the human body. That's yes. what it is, too. Yeah, and there's many people that that became, you know, over time, that believed that the the dream state was the real state, right. and the right. you know waking state that we're doing right now is not the real state. Yeah. <laughs> so there's the you know that there's that, and in fact, when you're training yourself in lucid dreaming. Um, you're, you're bringing in symbols from the waking state. Like one of the things is to hold, you know, I do is to hold up my hand 
And if you can see all five fingers, then you ask yourself in a focused state, am I dreaming? You take that in to your sleep. You hold up your hand. You can't hold your fingers up. They turn to sand. Mm. So, or you have more fingers than five or however many you normally have. Um, It's amazing to me that we can even talk about these things. (laughs) I love that you ask because nobody wants to talk to me about dreams. (laughs) They're like, whatever you do, don't bring up dreams. She'll just go on and on. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah, that is, I think I interviewed one or two people about dreams, maybe more than one, and they specialize in that. That has to do with hypnotherapy too, lucid dreams and Fascinating, fascinating. It's yeah. all the, the facets of life, isn't it, of what this is, the experiences we can have is just incredible to me. It's magic to me. It's That's really it. magic. That's right. It? That's right. I have right here on my thing that my girlfriend <laughs> sent me this little card that says, the world is wonderful and beautiful and good beyond one's wildest imagination. D.H. Lawrence said that. Yeah. And that's it. True. There's, it's, like, it's like there's yeah. so many frontiers for us to go to why would we choose not to go to them and why are we so afraid why do you think most of us are afraid concerned to explore different realities or different experiences well yeah um i don't know i can't speak for the world right but my having grown up in a small town and that oh you know what i have this great (laughs) everything (laughs) everything goes back to a story i was in um this little town when we were in Santa Fe last week, mm-hmm. this little town, and we were on our way up the high road to Taos, and it was uh, Chamayo is the name of the town, and it was considered the, a holy town with holy dirt, and there were all of these these different energies on that land, the indigenous energy, the the um, conqueror of the indigenous person, the the priest actually sitting in there waiting in the little church waiting for you to come and confess there were all these different energies there and i forgot where i'm going with this story but it's a great story so somebody came in and and they asked this guy for holy dirt and he was an indigenous uh, native man that had grown up in this area never seen anything else other than this area and rolled his eyes and i'm thinking holy for who you know i mean it's holy for people but not holy for everybody right (laughs) so i'm just observing this whole interchange and and his affect. And when the, the tourists left to go get their holy dirt or whatever, he's like, I don't, you know, I just work here. <laughs> Let's be like this because I feel like this theme would probably come up over and over again. And that would be painful. You know, it's a yeah. painful history. And, yeah. and he said, well, yeah, I love it because, you know, I, you know, have a big house and then my neighbors don't bug me and I, but I've never been anywhere else. And I'm like, Hmm, it's interesting. Right. Because some people have a drive to go out and see and be in other spaces and places chasing that. Right. Yeah. And other people, either they don't, they're like the flies in the jar Mm. or Mm. they just don't want to. (laughs) (laughs) They don't want to. Right. In my town, there's a lot of that. (laughs) There's a lot of you get married after high school and you have a baby and that's it. That's the big thing. Right. Right. So. I don't know. I love what you said. I have a passage here about sacred spaces. You say each person must learn where to find their own sacred space. Each of us has a sense of where ours is when we arrive on this planet. And you also said each person has a sacred space and it is each 
of our responsibilities to figure out where our is for the sake of our own peace as well as the peace of the world. Going back to this idea of sacred space, is that some, yeah, I never really thought about that. I did hear a lot about place, specific places on Earth and even out there, planets, uh, many kinds of planets and names. Yeah. But for me, what has resonated is there's nothing out there but here. Nothing's really happening out there. All we ever wanted to know, discover, uncover, learn is within. It's not out yeah. there. So that always resonated true for many, many, many years, even when I was really, really young. And when you talk about sacred space in the book and you say that, it kind of, to me, just my whole being says, yes, that's true. <laughs> yes, we need to figure out. But talk to me for a moment about this understanding, how it came to you. How did you come to this insight of sacred spaces and that could go dark and this understanding that most people have of, like in my case, of being within and not out there? I think, you know, so much of this I wrote for myself. Yeah, right. True. <laughs> I so wrote, true. You know, it was spirit talking to me yeah. as well and trying to, it's not like I have anything figured out, right? It's just that to me, it's like, I know when I go to what is considered a sacred space. I mean, I set out, Valeria, I did not set out to write about this. I set out yeah. to write about mermaids. I wanted to write about mermaids. <laughs> so this is what came. And mm. I, and I thought about mm. this a lot. Like, why did this flow? Why did this particular thing flow? And my dad used to say when I was little, that the only time from the time I could crawl, which was like, you know, Early on, right? Mm -hmm. I, the only time he could hold me was when I was deathly ill. Oh, wow. <laughs> Out on the go. Wow. It's like seeking, you know, running around and yeah. seeking. And <laughs> like, what is that in me? Like, this was the question I think was was being answered through that. What, that wants to go to Sedona, that wants to go to Hawaii, that wants to go to all these places. Right. Like, what is that? Is that something unsettled within myself? Or is that because when I go there, I feel my inside connects with the outside? Mm -hmm. I still don't know the answer. So there's not an answer at the end. But it, what was happening in this book was just an exploration of COVID, the COVID, yeah. right? Like, yeah. we're forced now. We yeah. are forced as a whole community world, right? Yeah. To go inside literally and physically in mentally, emotionally, spiritually within our bodies, yeah. like you said, to yeah. find that place. But also we had to go inside like, in yeah. our houses, right? Right, right. <laughs> so, True. so, and it's interesting because when people started reading this book, they're sending me pictures of here's my sacred space. Here's my sacred space. Mm -hmm. And I got so many different answers to people's sacred space. Like one person said, um, good friend of mine, she said, my sacred space is baking. That's when I'm like, you know, at my, my thing. Another one said, my sacred space is crafting when I'm crafting. So it's not like Sedona, right. Or yeah. somewhere out there that many yeah. people have gone. It's within that. And I think that shine is really a calling to look for each individual's mm -hmm. beautiful sacred space yeah. that they bring. What brings you joy? That's such a, you know, that's such a sign for you. Yeah. 
what brought you joy if you can't remember. You know, I worked with lawyers for 10 years. None of them were happy. Fucking <laughs> 85% of the people who go into law mm-hmm. are miserable, probably higher. <laughs> yeah, I was always asking these questions there just to kind of lift, lift them up a little bit. You know, yeah. it's like, anyway, so that's. I have curiosity about these places that so many people call uh, sacred, but I'm yeah. very careful about, um, as you know, cultural conditioning, collective conditionings, and yeah. all these belief systems that, oh, he, this is sacred, this is not to me. Everything is yeah. spiritual. Everything is sacred. There's nothing right. that's not. But it is curious how they become named that, isn't it? Yeah, so I, right. you know, my husband and I right. went to um, Italy, uh, I don't know, last year, year before, before, right before it closed, um, the spring before it closed, and just went to like from one side of Italy to the other, all the churches. I mean, oh, yeah. they're sacred space to so many people. When I walk in, I feel that. What is it I feel? You know, what is it I feel? I'm not, I'm like anti, you know, organized religion, but there's something there. Is it the, you know, the, all the prayers and all the hearts that have been open? What is it? You know, that's just, right. that's just one of the things I was dancing with in yeah. that book. Yeah. It feels good, those churches. I like that. Oh, yeah. yeah. And not just churches. I mean, I write that whole chapter. I was like, so excited oh, yeah, when so that chapter places. was coming out. <laughs> right. In the, in the monastery, when yeah. I did a silent retreat up in Mount Shasta, like, oh my gosh, that feeling of being in that temple. With no one in there and dusting the Buddha. I mean, that was just like unbelievable. I mean, it it was the, I don't know, it's those types of, of feelings, right, that come from this thing, which is why I can't say that, I don't know, I don't have the answer, but it's... It, there's something in all of them. In all of them, I've never been in, a, in one of those types of a temple, Buddhist temple, yeah. Jewish synagogue. Yeah. You know, I've been, I, I'm kind of like that. I bounce to different places yeah. just to go see. So, yeah, I, I Mormon. Love I love that about yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're like a joy chaser in a way. Yeah, I am. That's yeah. beautiful. Yeah, just um, getting that feeling to come alive, to be uh, manifested in the world. Maybe that's what it, your body, mind's trying to do, which is sacred. Uh, I know we wanted to talk about mental illness. This is uh, an interesting topic, too. So I have a general question for you. What constitutes mental illness, Jamie, from your perspective? I think from the sense I talk about it in the book, it's when, you know, I believe mental illness is a biological illness. It's when um, there's a, you know, it's just like a cold or like the Mm, flu, COVID for that matter it's something that we have attached different meanings to Mm, in through myth, through story, through bad story, by the way, through religion, you know, through the terms that we use in religion of what is good and what is evil. And, you know, we've, we've defined it in a weird way over time and an inappropriate way. And it needs to come back to um, really what it is, which is a biological <laughs> brain illness. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that, you know, we've seen over COVID so many, I'm a light worker for transitional youth, which I, transitional youth is, are really, let's call them probably 15 now, so many are leaving home, but like 18 to 28, these youth that come out into the world. And I just, all I want is for them to thrive. 
But what I see and their unique thing, whatever their unique things to thrive in that area, what I see happen is because they have not been educated on stress, on managing stress, you know, they have these little ridiculous courses and and schools and things that just don't address this. They don't teach them about mental illness. I'm waiting, but let's call it depression, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, anxiety, eating disorders, you know, that that's what I'm defining as my station as the United States of America. And that's what we call mental illness here. If I was in a rainforest, for example, with the shaman and the shaman has psychotic symptoms, which we call psychotic symptoms, that is the next leader of the tribe. So it is definitely a cultural definition for sure, but I'm working with the one I have in the United States. <laughs> so right. this book, yeah. it starts out, you know, dealing with the topic of suicide, which nobody wants to talk about. And that in, I think it was Japan during COVID, the suicide rates were off the charts, mm, right. like way more yeah. than COVID. Yeah. But we're going to talk about COVID all day long on the news, but are we going to talk about suicide? Well, maybe about one minute. Right. So True. my thinking is, why are we not talking about it? <laughs> Mm, yeah (laughs) this is part of the whole thing yeah that's yeah I'm always uh, that is one of my passionate topics and I'm always wanting to bring that into consideration and we made those short films at the beginning of um COVID for exactly that reason just to start like talking about it you know just to start being in it just to say hey you know here's the thing this is something a lot of people are feeling and here's how we're going to work on it and, you know, set up, put a plan in place. And we're not going to not ask the question, do you feel like you want to kill yourself? Because that's what you're supposed to do first. Mm. Ask that question and then go from there. You know, that's mm. so I think it's really important to get it out in the open. I also think we need to be teaching it in the schools. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree a thousand like early percent. Early on. Yeah. Thank you, Jamie, for doing what you do, um, being the vessel to this wisdom and illumination, really, because we do need to come to terms with the self. That's okay to feel. It comes to me in that way. seems like most people just are taught or they just are afraid to feel. They are embarrassed. There's something happening around feelings and emotions that's not accepted. Like you spoke earlier, you said the word shadow, like the dark sides mm-hmm. of us. So it might be that, the, the trying to suppress that and then becomes the imbalance. And the shamans, because they are willing to do that, to give themselves to life wholly, then they become this celebrated being. That's what we are here to do. But... It takes um, being fully human, just uh, living it, experiencing the it really does. everything. Yeah, right? without it shame. really does. And I think the key that you just that you just put your finger on is that suppression piece. Yeah, right. Yeah. What I have seen in all my work, and I've taught many, many classes on um, helping, you know, teachers and doctors and whatever, all a bunch of different classes on how do we deal with this? What, what are the signs? What are the early things? Suppression Mm -hmm. and denial are the worst things. So if you get in there and say, look, this is what's going on first. I need help. You know what? Let's get a partner. I mean, there's a whole process to this, right? And if you can get in there early and 
learn what that process is, which you're going to need help because when you're in that state, it's like, you know, no, you need a, a partner or something, but you get in there and bring it up into the thing. It's so much easier to deal with. It's like, if you deny right. you have a cold, mm. you know, and you don't do anything right. about it, you take some extra vitamins or whatever, then you're going to get worse cold. You deny you have COVID, you know, <laughs> it's like all these things, right? denial or suppression. Yeah, we can hide from the expression, the verbal expression, but not the body. The body cannot yeah, hold those. Yeah, we'll end up showing. But the mind too, like somewhere in the book, you said, I believe we are all just one trigger away from a mental illness. Totally. Yeah, that is true. Totally. If you took me and put me in Iraq, and, or, I mean, we're not even like, this was what we used to say in our class. Right? That's not even a thing anymore. But like, it'll, you took me and put me in a war zone and I'm very sensitive and, you know, empathic and yeah. I have tools. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> just crash. Right. You know, I couldn't do it. I would just crash. So my system is not set up for that. And I, everybody has their thing, you know, whatever it is. And sometimes it just, True is a, a lot of times it's her in, in your blood, in your lineage, right? I mean, I think every, I have yet to find a family that doesn't have someone in their lineage that um, had a sort of propensity for mental illness or did had a full-on break or they called it different things over the years, you know, it was alcoholism in the 50s and it was this and, you know, but it's, it's all of us. It's not just um, some of us. That's the I used to suppress my feelings a lot. And then would come out in a different way, in a distorted way, in the way that I didn't want it to come. So that is interesting. The more we suppress feelings, yeah, the more, let's say, unpleasant <laughs> they might surface in a different well, way. Well, I mean, it's a strategy that got, got you through your youth, right? I mean, yeah. it gets yeah. us through our youth, this strategy of suppression. If we just, if right. we just say mm. to our parents who, you know... <laughs> what we want, what we feel, it's not going to go over good. You know, in our, I mean, yeah. now my kids, I raised my children differently than I was raised. Yeah, but in that cool. era, you were not, do not like say what you feel. That's just not okay. It yeah. took me a long time to be able to, I still struggle with this. You know, it's like yeah. a long time, a lot of, uh, <laughs> A lot of like situations to work on this. I'm sure it was one of my lessons coming in. It, it's hard, yeah. you know. It's yeah. like we're taught to be, especially as women, you know, we're taught to be good girls, and we're taught right. to like do what you know. We got that whole other layer going on, and right. that's changing now, but not not in our formative years. Right. I had to wear a dress to school, Valeria. Oh, <laughs> really. Oh, I no. was like, you know, it was raining, it was yeah. cold, oh. so. Yeah, don't don't like go up against. So now we have to undo that sort of strategy, but it got us through. You know, we have to thank suppression, right? Right. Because it got us through and helped us. But yeah, so, not anymore. Not yeah, anymore. Yeah. At some point we <laughs> learn, right, Jamie? Yeah. <laughs> At some yeah. point we have to move on and, and yeah, uh, just end the legacy of abuse, really. That's what I call right. it. Self-abuse. Right. And and then we pass on, we abuse others and then the the whole cycle of abuse just keeps going. Yeah, we need to end that. We're almost at the end and you have, I have so many other notes here. Your book taps into so many important topics 
empath and sensitivity. Some people, they call oversensitive. No, uh, there's another word for that. Empath and uh, what is the other word, Jamie, that people... I use the terms in the book. <laughs> Actually, it didn't come through great on the Audible, but I use the term empath, but I also ter- use the term empathic soul. Yeah, because I soul, right. Yeah, I think those are not exactly the same. But basically, the, the overall concept, there are, and not everybody is one, but highly sensitive yeah, beings highly sensitive. that are here, I, I think, to you know really bring light and bring understanding to the world for everybody. But our world, well, some cultures do, but in the West, don't exactly understand that. So you have like, you know, you're thrown in as a multisensory being into this 5D reality, right? Called, called you know, five, five senses, yeah. five sensory reality. Yeah. And it's, it's like, well, okay, but I, but I have all this other stuff going on. So it's, you know, that's the, how do you get that? I see a lot of teenagers um, in this position that I can tell are empathic souls. And uh, how do we, what do we do with this? You know, what, yeah. I don't know. I don't want to do that. I don't want to feel. So I'm, you know yeah. what I'm going to do? I'm going to smoke weed. I'm going to drink. Mm. I'm going to have risky sex. I'm going to like do all these, like all these things to try and fill that gap to numb me down because I feel so strongly, you know, I feel so strongly that it's a gift, you know, and just have to learn how to use it. Yeah. How did you learn Jamie, how to use that gift? (laughs) You're still learning? (laughs) Yeah. Like I'm not done. Like when I'm done, I'll be off to the next thing. I mean, one of the things is really, you know, protect, I ground myself, you know, I learn how I do a daily practice. And this is, I think, why Shine came in to be Shine, because it's really a, you know, it's a quick thing to show someone how to create a daily practice to do this sort of thing. I always, I kid everybody, it's a Pisces book, because it's like all about everything (laughs) Pisces to know. My husband's like, yeah, but there's like 11 episodes. (laughs) So you need to learn how to like ground into the earth to be here, but to protect yourself. So you're not taking in all of that other stuff. I take classes, you know, I have a very, you know, sort of, it evolves into different things, but as daily ritual, like just before I got on with you, you know, I'd already done my meditation. I've already done my soul cycle ride with Chris, you know, I've like done all these like sort of grounding things. I've saged the house. I've <laughs> <laughs> saged the house so I have, too. <laughs> and I do these different things because I want to bring to you in this conversation. I don't want to just tell you, here's all about me. Yeah. I want to join you in this space. That's yeah. a sacred space we create, right? Yeah. Yes. I want to join you in that space to talk about these things. I love the work you do in the world. <laughs> Thank you, you know, it's, it's, so, it's such a beautiful conversation Imagine what if more people were talking like this. Yes. What we could do. Right. You know? Yes. I we could do a lot. We'd be on the fast track, wouldn't we? <laughs> yeah. Thank yeah. you. I, I really appreciate yeah. you being you, authentic you know. and just uh, free. That's a gift to me and the world. Yeah. Just oh. you being you. We didn't talk about perfectionism, though. There's so many topics in your book that I would love to talk, but perfectionism is one of them that you actually wrote to me in an email. 
oh, and I was like, this is perfect, <laughs> perfect topic to discuss. And I actually have a piece here where you say, I don't have to do everything perfectly when there is something I know needs to be done and can help people. Sometimes we're so afraid we cannot be perfect, we get defeated. You wrote more, but this is just the beginning of that yeah. paragraph. Yeah. So talk to me about perfectionism and how empowering it is to know that we don't have to be perfect. <laughs> Yeah, you know, this is something, okay, so I see a lot of perfect, the perfectionist archetype really is a shadow archetype that comes out in so many people that are high achievers, right? We call them type A's or whatever. It's a, this, again, tool we used when we were young to, well, if I can just be perfect, then I'm not going to get you know, name your thing (laughs) hurt in some way, right? (laughs) If I can just be perfect, uh, if I can go into the classroom and just be perfect, then my, I won't have to, I see the kids who aren't perfect. What happens to them? And I don't want to do that, right? right. (laughs) This sort of, this sort of strategy (laughs) that works for you when you're a child, but then counters against you when you're an adult. And it is, I see, for example, this is one part that of me that, is not worked out. I haven't had that many people die in my life, like that many serious close to me people die. But when somebody gets in that zone of like really me having to deal with grief and death and I have to clean my closet. <laughs> it's like a weird thing. And I want my closet, if my closet can be perfect, then I can deal with this, right? Yeah. So there's these different oh, wow. these different tools that we have I try and let that go, but still, I, I'm, it's a constant. It's a constant lesson this lifetime for me. So I'll give you an example. On this book, it's going through a final, 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 final on the book. And I was like, okay, I wanted to go fast on this book to prove to myself and other people that getting a book into the world does not have to take 15 years. Right, true. (laughs) Every writer has something to contribute and they do not need to be stopped by this process. So I had this sort of iOS running in my head. So we get to the end and it's this, you know, we've gone through all the steps and that you've got to go to and we're at the very end. And I'm dealing with sort of this slow kind of process. And I'm starting to see my perfectionist archetype. <laughs> going, Jamie, you just go in your office. I'm going to deal with this. Right? <laughs> so this perfectionist archetype is just like, like I'm back to the law firm, you know, telling everybody what to do. Like you do this and you go over there and you do that. And I need this now. I got to do that. And I'm like, what? That is not me. But, but when I feel powerless, I, that perfectionist archetype wants to come back and rule the roost. Right. <laughs> So I think just being aware, we're not in the journey to be perfect. We're just not. And when we, when we try and do that, then, okay, so we did it. Right. So I did it. So then I I just like globally apologized to everybody. Sorry. I'm like, you know, perfectionist archetype took over there, but I'm back. (laughs) (laughs) So I think it's just, you know, we're not going to be perfect at, like letting that go. So that's all, all part of it. And we just, yeah. And it's just important to kind of jump in and try, you know, and that's the, I try to teach my students that, you know, like 
just, it's scary. Have you ever tried to take one of those standardized tests when you're at a time and, you know, they're like, some of them throw up because oh, in yeah. break, they're so, and we, we've set up this system for them. They have yeah. to take these tests. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, yeah, you know, just bring a, sort of bring a, a, a feeling of play and adventure. Oh. And I, that helps that come come back. You know, because we learn by feeling, right? We hear that and it's true. It's interesting how life is. Yeah, it's the the dance, this movement of always trying to bring everything together, integrate everything without a peace. I guess the word is a, a peace. If we can do this, I guess that relates to the water. I know that's something that you mentioned in a book, uh, your sacred space being water, the ocean specifically. But then we talked on the phone and you said, oh, but the water also, the ocean can become a storm and could... Yeah. So, yeah, hmm. everything could be healing and then also could be the other way around and then be able and to you, accept all that. It's powerful. Yeah. And you, and you use the, you used the, um, what do we want to call it? The metaphor of dance, yeah. which we both have in common. I danced oh. professionally for a little bit and oh. I love dance. I love every kind of dance. And, but you think about dance when it becomes rigid when it becomes um you got exacting and you got to do this what yeah. a difference experience that sure. is than if you're out you know two stepping around a a floor or you're out doing a you know in at UCLA we had this one class it was a uh, expression dance and contemporary dance or something or something like that and we had to go out to the sculpture garden and we had to look at a sculpture mm-hmm. and then make up a dance yeah. that was like totally terrifying <laughs> number one that sounds but good. it was I know but it was also freeing mm-hmm. and so we can bring that sort of metaphor into life about yeah. you know when we get so rigid and our rules and our you know this and it has to be like that and that's hard on others and it's hard on us and one of the things that might make us rigid it might be belief systems too that comes to mind beliefs isn't it like believing in something like this is it and then I mean I don't think we can navigate this reality without beliefs it doesn't seem to be realistic but if we are flexible enough if we can dance with our beliefs then yeah then it is a different story a different experience for sure right and how can that be how can that be that we always have the same belief that a lot of times it's what our parents have told us how can that be that we only have that if we're living, if we're evolving beings and, and we learn and we, I always have such admiration mm-hmm. for people, leaders in our country or whatever, who get up and say, I thought this way, but you know, I've, I've seen all these other things and now I believe this way right. that they don't hold so tight yes, yes. To, and rigidly to that thing because they said and, they, and they're afraid they're going to look bad, right? But right. they let themselves evolve and, and that's the human experience. Yeah. We're here to evolve and understand new things and understand new ways and expose ourselves to those. Yes. So, yeah. Yes, a billion times to that. We're almost at the end. I do have a few more questions for you, the ending questions. But before that, Jamie, would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book? I would love to read a passage in my book. Yes. So this is at the beginning of the book. And I... You know, like I said, I didn't really even understand what I wrote entirely until I went back and listened to the whole right. book, which is a whole thing. Um, but this is really the intent that I came in with. And so 
says, I didn't want to just offer another self-help recipe book filled with magical thinking and sage. Instead, I wanted to quickly offer a starting point of reconnection with that unique and beautiful part that longs to be recognized by you. To do that, I needed to be fully me, something I have steered away from most of my life for fear of being driven into the ditch of judgment, rejection, abandonment, all those deep-seated fears that emanate from each of us. Here's the irony. Until we are ready to drop the facade of who we think others should see, we are much more powerless to all those things we fear. We hide behind our influences of tribe, of family, religion, politics, friends, and community. These influences will bully us to remain in status quo. If COVID has taught us anything, it's that status quo stinks. Mm. Instead, love more and fear less. Don't be afraid to hug. Don't be afraid to use the word love in all its glorious contexts. These words apply first to that part inside of you that has not been loved as you needed, and next to everyone who shares our world. In this way, in this full loving acceptance of who you really are and came to be, you will not only shine the brightest light you came, you can shine, you will light up the whole freaking world around you. Yes. I love that, Andy. It made me laugh when I read it. You're fun. It's so much fun, Jamie. Spiritual yeah. fun. Thanks. Thank you. That's so my key, my core value right now. So you just tapped into my core value. <laughs> so beautiful. Thank you again. And the last yeah. uh, questions I have for you is, what is another word for healing? Another word for healing. Um, I'm going to say evolving. Mm. I don't know. We use that word in so many different aspects. And if you break it down and think about what it means to heal, that means that it implies there was something that you're healing from. Right. Right. So I feel like we, we have all these experiences that we have. We evolve by, we get them, we, you know, they come to us in, in some way, often trauma when we're young. Yeah, right. and, and then we have to figure out different ways or not. We figure out different ways to respond to that initial trauma. And that to me is evolution. Mm. So I don't know. I just made that up, but I love that. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like I love an evolution. That. Another question I have for you: the ending question is: If you knew you would lose the body soon, would you make any change or do anything in a different way? I mean, this depends on how long there is. Right. <laughs> how long's left? Right. So it's like a week or there's this one song, there's this one song by Tim McGraw, who my oldest child loved Tim McGraw. And it's like, live like you were dying. That's my philosophy. Mm, I, I like to that. live like I was, like I was dying. Yes. But yeah. you know, my, my mm. children are so um, important to me and special to me. So I would like, if, if it was a short period of time, we would all gather somewhere fun and I would eat Oh, so much cake, Valeria. You don't even know. I would eat like <laughs> the whole cake myself. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Right. And, uh, and we would just be with each other mm, and yeah. celebrate, not like, you know, 
cry and, and whine. But I mean, that might be part of it. You know, you, it's a sad thing. But if it was a longer term, no, I think I would kind of just go on and like go on the path that I'm on and pivot when I need to and want to and I'm called to. Yeah. yeah. So my last question is, what are three things about life you know for sure as of this moment? Oh, that's funny. Okay. So, you know, <laughs> Mark Twain said, it ain't, it ain't what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you do know for sure that just ain't so. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Wisely said. So what do you know for sure? I don't know. But I mean, love is the most important thing, right? That's what I kind of go through life thinking. Love for ourselves and love for others. That's the most important thing. And that we are all one and all connected. This is, we talk about this, we say the words, but do we really understand? COVID Mm -hmm. comes in and says, yeah, yeah, look, see, look, look. And do we, do we understand yet? I don't, I don't know. (laughs) It's still in the field that maybe we don't understand. (laughs) And then the the, the next thing (laughs) is that we're all at different stages of evolution and compassion for that understanding is key. So, you know, it, it's really easy to get mad at people and uh, so polarized in the, in the West right now. It takes all kinds for both self and others. It takes all kinds and everybody is at a different stage and we come at a different stage. And let's take, my dad used to say, he said it disparagingly, but he'd say, you know, JR, you're always, you're, you're colorblind. You've always been colorblind. And I'm like, what is wrong with that? <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. You say it's a bad thing. I mean, <laughs> look at like other other people's differences than yours. That's beautiful to me. Yes, so that sort of understanding that we're just at different stages. Sometimes people are never going to see it and have compassion for that instead of, I was always very intolerant of intolerance, but tried to <laughs> like make room for that, you know, and just understand that we're at different parts of our journey. Exactly. <laughs> we didn't show up at the same time. Yes. <laughs> yeah. True, Jamie. I love your wisdom. Thank you so much for expressing that deep wisdom, which I call timeless. And um, how fun it is <laughs> to be yourself. I love the way you express yourself. It's very real. It can be felt my entire body, mind. It's beautiful. Thank you for your work. Thank you for everything between two that can be felt. And thank you. Thank you for opening up this classroom. Really, it is a classroom. The University of Valeria, that's what it is, you know. I have been a, a student to so many amazing, amazing human beings. Like I said to you earlier, this is my sacred space <laughs> to talk Absolutely. to all of you on, uh, about these topics. That just means a lot to me. Before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? So, you know, I am a URL junkie, so I have a lot of those. But all of the, um, all of the portals for me can be found on my website, which is www.jamiejamiewild.net. And that has, you know, all the books I've written, the films that, that I talked about, I believe are on there, all of my social connections, the, you know, portals to my blogs, I blog on the Epicurean lifestyle, which is wine and food, and the spa lifestyle, which is really just self care. 
So you can access all of that right there at that little address. Wonderful. I'll have that posted on your podcast profile. Thank you so much again, Jamie, and we'll talk soon. Yeah. Thank you, Valeria. Thank you. Bye for now. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Jamie Weil and her work, please visit jamieweil.net. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.